Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. Um, as you know, if you've been uh, watching, 90% uh, of the things we talk about are positive, forward-thinking, innovative. How do you make the industry better? You know, how do you make commercial, corporate, real estate buildings uh, more exciting, more engaging? But unfortunately, every once in a while, we have to um, deal with the more negative negative aspects and different things going on in our industry. I call it defense. Uh, I would call cybersecurity defense. It's you know money, time, energy put into something that doesn't necessarily result in a better occupant experience or a better performance of a building. It's just something you got to do. Unfortunately, in the cyber realm, uh, the time, money, and, and budgets that have gone into cyber uh, have increased over the last couple of years just because of the severity of the problem. Well, another problem that we've been uh, starting to really hear about, probably starting end of last summer, maybe early fall, um, was the supply chain issues. And, and that's now on everybody's mind as it relates to what's going on in our general economy. We can certainly understand what happens when you take chips out of cars and it results in no inventory because you can't finish the car because of the technology. But unfortunately, it's impacting the building industry as well. And for those folks who are interested in putting technology into their buildings to make them smarter, uh, more integrated, more interoperable, they need some hardware, they need some software. And specifically on the hardware side, we are being impacted by the supply chain. When I first heard about this, some of the numbers just astounded me to the point where we actually uh, had this discussion in our opening general session at Real Common Scottsdale last year. So uh, it's not getting any better. Um, so I went right back to my domain expert, uh, Richard Newberry from uh, CEO of KMC Controls. And he is here with us today. Why don't we bring Richard on and uh, let's get this conversation started. Richard, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, great to have you. Wish it could be under a different circumstance or a different topic. Um, as I mentioned in the opening, you were on our opening session, general session stage in Scottsdale, and we talked about the supply chain. And obviously not everybody was at that conference. So let's start from the beginning, assuming our audience doesn't know much about you or your company. Why don't you give us a little background of KMC and what you do, and then we're going to get right into the topic at hand, the supply chain. Okay. Well, KMC has been around for 50 years as a manufacturer. We started out manufacturing pneumatics. Today, we are a uh, global company providing smart building solutions that include cloud-based and premise-based software and hardware. Uh, and so we're all about connecting your building, buildings, making them smarter, bringing in analytics and uh, also a keen focus on indoor air quality, ventilation, and, and that kind of thing. Okay. So let me use a car analogy. So if we go back, um, let's say, uh, to the 70s, muscle cars, right? You lift up that hood, you saw an engine, a carburetor, you had lots of room to work. Uh, now you open up a hood of a car and, and the average mechanic runs for the door because it's way too complex. Lot, and, and I forgot who coined the phrase, but an automobile is now a computer on wheels. Okay. Yep. Buildings aren't quite there yet, but they're getting there. And I'm assuming that there's some boxes that go into these buildings, uh, your boxes. Um, tell the audience what that box does, you know, what its purpose is, and then we're going to open the box and see what's inside. Okay. So we make a, a full range of controls that uh, involve software and hardware, and it basically makes the building smart. You can think of big pieces of equipment, chillers, boilers, uh, units you see on the roof well those need to be controlled they need they need smarts and that's what we provide is the ability to communicate with those devices 
manage and control the environment from an HVAC standpoint, uh, from a, an indoor air quality standpoint, CO2 occupancy. And we're able to take that data and with our, with our cloud-based solution, bring in analytics to uh, have preventive predictive maintenance and also um, be able to uh, save energy, which uh, we've wanted people to focus on for years, but it's, mm -hmm. it's really one of our key uh, focuses is to help people save energy, optimize the building. So on an, in an average 10-story building that's fairly automated, fairly smart, how many of your boxes will be inside? Oh, I would, I would say you could have um, 30 to 50. It depends on how, how the units are laid out. How and, and how much technology you want to interconnect and, and get onto the network, if you would. Yep. Okay. All right. So now um, the box, how big? Bread box, toaster? Uh, smaller than a toaster. So this, this is a, a, a board that goes in each of our controls. Uh, there's different sizes, but this is the biggest one. And so it's about a eight by eight inches. Okay. And, and on that, on that controller card, how many different pieces of technology, uh, make up that hundred, hundred, 200. It looked like letters, lots of little pieces. Hundred, hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds. yeah. Hundreds and of those hundreds of components that go onto that board, how many are manufactured in the United States? Uh, very few. Uh, I would say over ninety percent are, at least over ninety percent are outside the United States. So hold that board up again, if you could. What percentage of those little devices on that board are manufactured in China? Uh, probably ninety percent. Ninety percent. You know, right in the middle, there was a big black one. Okay, that that's that's the core. I think you've got a small or a separate example of that. Okay, so why don't you tell me what this is? Well, this is the microprocessor. It's kind of the brains of the uh, of our product, and it is uh, manufactured by NXP. Uh, and unfortunately, all of their manufacturing for this type of component, and you're going to see a lot of these some similar components in automotive. So that's been one of our challenges is automotive, automobiles now are so much smarter. They have many, many more of these in an automobile, like you were pointing out. And so that's created demand that um, they really didn't anticipate. And con consequently, that's part of why we have the shortages. That's Part of why is okay. And uh, indulge me one more time. Hold that board up one more time. Mm -hmm. So this is this is the box. It, there's a container around it when it goes into a building. There's 30 or so in an average 10-story building. The brain, that black in the middle, is manufactured in China, and the heart and the liver and everything else that's contained in the body, if you will, is also manufactured in China. Yeah. Okay, so we understand supply chains and COVID and you know difficulty getting things out, but we also understand political issues as a, as it relates to supply chains as a you know economic tool, if you will, uh, and and your inability to to get these components is going to impact your business. So, where did you first start? What was the day, the month that you first started feeling something was not right? Well, it was probably <clears throat> toward the end of 2020. I mean, as you can imagine, we plan out uh, at least four quarters. So we have in our schedule the demand, the forecast 
for these components. And it's pretty steady. You know, we're increasing around 10% or so. But uh, all of those components, and this is principally I'm speaking right now, there, there are a lot of other ones, but the main one was the microprocessor with NXP. So we had this demand in our forecast. We buy through a distributor by the name of Arrow. It's a very, yeah. very large company. Um, and they uh, everything was fine. And all of a sudden, we started seeing a cascade of, um, okay, the lead times were just a few weeks. Now the lead times on a lot of components hey, were- Give me the month. Give me the, the month, the year and the month that that happened. I would say that happened- um, I, I can give you quarter because it kind of cascaded, but fourth quarter of 2020, first quarter of 2021. The pandemic starts early part of 2020. Uh, we start hearing about feeling it shutting down. And then by that fall, that winter, you're starting to say, okay, the warehouses that were filled from all the actions that we took last year are starting to need to be replenished. But you're now you're starting to hear them saying the delivery dates are being pushed a little bit. Yeah. And, and, it's, it's kind of started like it was, you know, how the frog in the water, you, you, you don't know what's going on. So it started out just a kind of a little bit of a, an extension of lead time. And then before we know it, by the middle of uh, 2021, uh, they were basically, we, we had a list, uh, a long list of components that went from anywhere from 16 weeks to 99 weeks. And what 99 weeks means, we don't know. <laughs> but there were a lot... So we, the, this particular co component about mid-year last year, we were told that all of, all of the units you had in your plan, uh, you're now going to get in July of 2023. Okay, so pause real quick. So this, these were the numbers that just startled me when you told me them the first time. Why don't you tell the audience what your chip cost used to be and then what it is now, and then, the average, and then just very succinctly what your average delivery time was in the in the normal times and what it is right now so this this chip is somewhere around let's just say an eight dollar chip and we were paying as much as uh we there was a point where we said we can't do this anymore but we we stopped at 225 dollars apart so those eight. numbers are even worse than the last since the last time we discussed this yeah but we saw we saw the same part out there going for eight or nine hundred dollars apart all right so let's just take a deep breath and make sure this is not lost $8 goes to $225, and in some cases you're seeing $800? Yeah. I mean, we, we hear inflation numbers on television and we're, we're, you know, we can't comprehend them. We go to the gas pumps and we're, we're frustrated. That increase, how do you manage a business at that kind of a price increase? Well, and, and again, yeah, understand that what was happening is we weren't paying that price to Arrow, our distributor, they, they were not, Arrow could not get any of these parts. They were being sold by brokers. And you only, you have to wonder how these brokers got these parts. Right. But that's what happened to us in a lot of ways. So we we had to, to provide a lead time, you know, that or to provide for our customers. We had to pay those higher prices. But there was a point where we said we can't digest this anymore. But with with the 225, we, we had to pass on a 30 percent price increase to our customers. And it's, it was very common in the industry. Uh, our competitors were doing the same. It's called thing. inflation, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And, and, and it is nothing. Yeah. So, so 
and okay, so the cost is just unbelievable. Eight to two twenty-five, just in, incomprehensible as a business person to figure out how to absorb that in such a short amount of time. But let's talk the second point about the delivery term times. I mean, it used to. What was the average delivery time from order to receiving in a, in your normal business process? So there's a range on the components, but let let's say um, to us it was six six weeks to like I said fifty two weeks. What happened with our customer is we typically uh, had a five day delivery, on, and we were we were very known for ninety eight percent on time delivery in that five day period. We're now we now have a twenty to plus week lead time for, to our customers. I remember when we were chatting earlier, you said, you know, when you first heard that they said delivery was spring of 2023, I mean, which means maybe not even spring of 2023. At what point do you sit with your team and saying, we got a, I mean, we, I think by now you're recognizing we got a real problem. Um, and, and what were some of the things you've done, you know, to, to this point, other than the ones you've already mentioned that, that you've gotten around this? I mean, you know, buying chips from brokers is one thing, but I mean, any other things that you've done to try to mitigate this? Yeah, so a couple of things. One is we we found components that had a more reasonable lead time uh, that, and we've redesigned, we're redesigning our products uh, mm. to, to use those components. And we're, and, and again, we, we took the quickest route by redesigning for a different NXP processor that is available. So uh, that's, that's in process right now. The other thing I did is, you know, as CEO, I don't typically get involved with these conversations over the years, but uh, when it, we got to this point, I uh, made a decision to, to not necessarily go to the CEO of NXP, but I went to the guy, the top guy in the United States that handles the demand and, um, I just tried to be personal and, and share the story of what KMC is about and the fact that we were gonna have to shut down if we couldn't figure out how to get some components. And we became buddies, uh, teams buddies, uh, and I stayed in touch with him and he elevated our demand, our need. And I, I'm happy to say that next week we are gonna be getting uh, enough of these processors uh, to uh, buy us a couple of months. To, to he's, get... he's getting these calls from everybody, right? He is. And unfortunately, the, most people were calling his CEO and his CEO was in saying, these guys have an issue, can you help them? I went right to him and didn't go to the CEO. I, and I, I told him early on, if you, if you think I need to go to your CEO, I will, but how can you help me? And, and, and he, he, we became kind of friends on teams and he, he elevated KM, the KMC need to, to top of his list. So, so you and I have spoken at length how we got here and we're not gonna have enough time to talk about that, but the, the long and short of it is X number of years ago, a couple decades ago, d decisions were made on mass to export our manufacturing for, for the sake of cost. And now that's coming back to bite us, pretty fair? Yep. Absolutely. All right, let's let's take a brief break we'll hear from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about what are some of our solutions going forward and what's it going to take to make sure we don't lose our competitive advantage in the smart building world. Your company mitigates many types of risk 
But there's one critical risk you can't avoid. The network's running your base building systems. Every day, vendors and engineers connect to your building system networks with little or no security, making them extremely vulnerable to cyber attacks. Hackers can shut down these systems and force ransom payments, or jump over to your corporate network and engage in password and identity theft. Each new solution you add only causes the security risk to grow exponentially. The Intelligent Riser eliminates risk by putting building systems on a secure network completely separate from the building's corporate network. Then, vendors, building engineering, and building management are given secure access to the systems they need while keeping hackers out. And the network is monitored and maintained 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to ensure all building systems are secure, up, and running. All future solutions can now be connected to the Intelligent Riser, saving cabling and implementation CapEx and OpEx. Intelligent Riser, the smart building platform. All right, Richard, before we get into what we need to do, uh, I just want to clarify one thing. What, what are the, the, the suppliers, the distributors, the manufacturers who rely on these overseas manufacturing um, uh, systems? What are they being told is the reason? Is it, are, they, are they being told that it's COVID that's, that's showing, slowing things down? I think it's a, it's a combination of COVID and what I mentioned earlier, and that is car, electric vehicles, cars are becoming... Uh, computers on wheels. And so the demand for these types of processors and components has uh, multiplied on probably 100x. Okay. And do you, I, I don't want to get political, but one has to wonder, is there any strategic business decisions to, to kind of make your competition a little less competitive? I mean, if they can't get their supplies and this, do you believe at some point this hurts our industry to the point where we can't maintain global competitiveness in the smart building industry because we simply can't get the components? We're definitely there, I believe. We're there. So yep. so, so this is more than COVID and more than normal supply chain issues. This could be a, a, a forced competitive disadvantage. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, that's another topic for another show. And I, I'm, we're going to keep pursuing that because uh, um, I believe that for a while. But the more and more I talk to people who are on the front lines, I'm hearing that could very possibly be true. All right. So here we are. Um, we've saved a lot of money over the last 20 years, you know, outsourcing most of this stuff. Um, and I think many people are realizing and have for the last two, three years, right? We've been hearing the battle cries that we got to bring manufacturing back. Tell us how complicated that is? Uh, it, it's, it's very complicated. It's going to take, <clears throat> in, in my view, it's going to take uh, a combination of a consortium of businesses and, and the government. Um, and we need the government to focus this challenge, this manufacturing in America or in, in friendly places, uh, places that aren't our enemies, uh, whether it's stated or not. Uh, where we, they can provide legislation and money to help us do this. We need, I'm sorry to use this term, but we need a warp speed solution. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, so we've seen a warp speed effort as it relates to the vaccines, yep. where it was an all of country type of crisis and everybody rose up and got it done in unbelievable times. 
Do you believe that there's enough willpower and focus within our government institutions at this current point in time to to accelerate that? I don't think we can survive two to five years. Okay. And and if this gets really nasty, Home Depot and Amazon shelves get emptied quickly. Okay. And so imagine everything from your your favorite consumer piece of electronics to that drill that you use to do the work around the house on the weekends. Okay. So so this is hopefully not just the tip of the iceberg and this is an anomaly, but, you know, assuming the worst, um, how can, so the question is, are, are you getting a sense that the right people are listening and actually things are getting done or is it still just talk? There's still a lot of talk. It's, it's very similar to talk about energy savings over the years. We know buildings are very inefficient. They use way too much energy. If we're really concerned about climate change, there should have been something done about it. 15 years ago. Yeah, and when you see that uh, we are trying to buy oil or by buying oil from Russia, we're trying to buy oil from Venezuela and maybe Iran when we had we were independent. Right. What and we're not willing as the government's not willing to let us open up and, and provide our own gas and natural gas and sell it to our partners versus them having to buy it from Russia. Right. Um, so it, the wheel, what we have to have in, in this combined business government initiative, warp speed initiative to do something about the manufacturing facility in the United States is going to take passion that I don't see right now. It's going to take determination and, and, and intention uh, and it's going to take money. It's going to take time. It's We can't reverse money. Money, here. money always seems to I mean, we spend more money on things that are wasteful. And if we just focus a little bit, I, I think it, to me, this is my third rodeo on the E of ESG. And everybody says, well, you know, you don't seem like you believe it's going to happen. I said, I'm a little you know, jaded because from 20 years of my career, I've been trying to make this happen and it doesn't make any sense. I mean, everybody's screaming about gasoline prices because they have to go to the gas station a couple of times a week. Everybody knows, at least in our industry, that we're the worst contributor to the energy crisis. 40 to 45% of the buildings are using energy. I was in cities this week, last week, that were virtually empty, and yet every light in every building. I almost took pictures and started to call out some of these people who are ESG warriors, and yet they leave their lights on, their 100-story or you know 53 corporate towers on all night, going back to an electric or a plant, plant that uses either natural gas, in some cases diesel and coal. So you're right, but let's, let's get back to the topic at hand. We're going to try our best to to organize if informally. We don't, you know, that's not what we do. But the people like you at Real Common IBCon this June, we're going to provide an environment where the people like you can sit down in a room off to the side and not just have it be one company, but a consortium of companies that figures out how do we get manufacturing back to this country that is specific to the smart building components we need to put into these buildings to turn off the lights automatically so we don't have to waste energy. And if it has to go through the ESG lens, so be it. But but I, I am hoping, and I think you're willing to, to help take that lead um, since you're on the ground floor of this problem and sit in a room and see if we can't get uh, some people. And that's the exact same way the Real Estate Cyber Consortium got started five years ago. Two passionate guys in a room, Don Goldstein, uh, Charles Myers, and actually three, Jim Whalen. And those three guys got the conversation started. And, uh, and now we have the Real Estate Cyber Consortium. So, 
And I think we need to broaden the conversation. We need to, it doesn't have to just be in the United States. It can be in Japan, South Korea, Europe. We, we need to be working with our friends, not our enemies, whether they say they're our enemy or not. Correct. Yeah, exactly. It's time for, for alignment on common principles. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and P.S., there's a lot of major companies out there that are going to have trouble with that because they have vested interests in, in those other places. And at some point, we're going to have to figure out what team we're on. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, that may not be an easy decision for some. All right. Um, a, a difficult but necessary conversation. I really appreciate you putting yourself out there. Um, we started at the opening session. You know, we've had various conversations. Now there's, you know, this interview. Um, we're going to do whatever we can to help keep me posted. And uh, I'll see you in a couple months. And uh, the conversation will definitely continue on this topic. Thank you, Jim. Look forward to it. All right. Have a great weekend. Be well. Yep. Thanks. All right. With that, I bring in Howard Berger, who's going to give us the news this week. Good to have you back, Howard. I threatened to play your music. Do you have uh, the clip available or are we going to have to wait till next week? Oh, I'm sorry, Jim. I did not make that available for this yeah. week, but we'll put that on the uh, we'll right. that on the agenda for a future. I just want to remind everybody, you weren't on the news last week because you were in Los Angeles with a whole bunch of guys playing great music. And uh, I think the, the, the people want to see the other side of Howard as evidenced by that guitar over your uh, right shoulder. So well, we had a great time. With yeah. that, I hand you the news and I'll see you in a couple minutes. Uh, thanks, Jim. And, and I want to thank you, Richard. It's this is such an important conversation that everyone in our country really needs to be aware of. And I'm hoping that we can figure out how to align as a nation uh, and, and work on eliminating that the absolute dependence on essential foreign goods, especially from China. So moving on to the news, I'm going to recap a few stories from the week. So our lead story comes from Kay Sargent, uh, Kay's Director of Workplace at HOK. And in her article, The Path Forward, explores the fundamental question, how do we work going forward? So if organizations are looking to adopt a hybrid work model, which I think most are going to be doing, is it going to be offices? Is it going to be hubs, spokes, third places, home environments? And in this article, Kay explores seven key elements which enable organizations to both be nimble and have workplaces that are functional, effective, and efficient. We do that by, first, ensuring the workplace is someplace where people want to be and create the right levels of energy for them. Number two, I really understand what attracts people to spaces and makes them want to stay. Three, uh, by creating spaces that offer that balance between shared and solo space. And then finally, breaking down silo silos between all the different space types and leveraging, maybe even leveraging the sharing economy to create more dynamic, better utilized spaces. And just, yeah, I, th I think essentially, we just want to make sure that the return to office doesn't mean that we're just returning to smaller, leaner versions of the sterile workplaces where employers are sitting around in one place all day on virtual calls. I mean, if that's what we're returning to, then why even leave the house? So a lot more rich content in this excellent article. Great read. Thank you, Kay. Uh, next, I want to shout out to this week's tech partner, Contact.io. Uh, and now that we can measure spatial and people analytics, we need to pivot to focusing on the applications that actually include uh, improve, excuse me, Oh, user experience. Um, and the pandemic forced a rethink, <coughs> oh, I'm sorry, about how we actually use real estate. And it's, I think it's a time for a reset in our assumptions about how we interact with workplace. 
So Contact.io's digital building services, they aggregate people asset movement data, provide a tool set that illustrates indoor interactions between equipment, people, and spaces. So thanks, Contact.io, check them out. Um, so JP Morgan Chase unveiled the design for their new state-of-the-art global headquarters at 270 Park Avenue. It's gonna be 60-story skyscraper designed by Foster and Partners. It's gonna be New York's largest all-electric tower with net zero operational emissions powered by renewable energy. Big focus, air quality, uh, advanced water storage and reuse with net 40% reduction. 97% recycled, reused, or upcycled building materials from the demolition. A lot of intelligence sensors, AI, machine learning uh, for everything, including energy conservation. And it's gonna house some 14,000 employees replacing the original facility designed in the 50s that held about 3,500 employees. Gonna have a lot of a green outdoor space, 2.5 million square feet, flex and collaborative space focused on health, wellness, and hospitality. Glad to see JP Morgan's work moving forward on this iconic sustainable headquarters. Really can't wait to see it. Uh, next and finally, big announcement from Yardi and WeWork. So the co-working company, uh, WeWork is gonna partner with, their real, with a real estate software maker, Yardi Systems, to develop WeWork Workplace. It's a tool that's gonna let companies manage their employees in their office space, kind of the same way WeWork does. Uh, but it'll handle most of the same uh, tasks like booking conference rooms, coordinating flexible workspace, uh, desk usage, hybrid workers, analyzing which spaces use the most. And it's set to debut this summer. The idea is that employees who don't want to rent from WeWork might choose to pay for software tools, especially given uh, the complex logistics of a workforce that wants to spend some days at the office, some days at home. So uh, great news, and uh, I think that's it for me today. Uh, back to you, Jim. All right, so Howard, um, I mean, that press release with Yardy and WeWork is special for a number of reasons. I think it's two large, very successful companies coming together. But for me, when I was reading the press release, it was kind of pretty special. Scott Morey on the WeWork side and Rob Teal on the Yardy side. We've been working with these guys for 15, 20, some case I think with Scott, 25 years. And it's so cool. And I guess we're old enough to, you know, have started out as younger guys in this industry. And then to see these two making major decisions to bring those two great companies together to collaborate on, I think is a game changer. Uh, uh, it's an interesting collaboration from a number of perspectives. I just want to shout out, obviously, to Anna Yardy at, at Yardy, but Rob Teal, who was on that press release, and Scott Morey. Uh, guys, uh, we're so proud of you for the work you do, and uh, and we're excited to see how this thing works out. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that was that will be a game changer. All uh, right, so thank you for the news, Howard. You have a great weekend, and uh, next week, be prepared. I'm going to ask you for a video clip uh, of you playing the guitar. Thanks, Jim. Uh, I'll remember. <laughs> All right, before um, we close the show, and I tell you about next week, let's hear from our final sponsor. All right.
Um, great show. Uh, like I said in the beginning, a topic that uh, was not necessarily fun, but necessary. So a big uh, shout out to Richard Newberry of KMC for coming on and talking about that. Howard, great job with the news. Uh, thanks to the sponsors. And um, as far as next week goes, um, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we're trying to do some interesting things with Realcom Live. Um, last week, we took you to the construction site and the factory of um, one of the most automated, um, sustainable, smart building uh, companies in the world, SLI. And we showed you, you know, the manufacturing facility. So we're trying to do interesting things. Well, we're working on something for next week. It's in some cases even more complex getting the people at the right locations and getting everything figured out. So unfortunately right now, I do not have confirmation that that's in the works, but I'm hoping as early as uh, Monday, we're gonna be able to make the announcement. And it's if we pull it off, it's gonna be an exciting um, uh, episode. It's gonna be going outside the walls a little bit. And I think you'll find it very fun and very interesting. So with that, I wish you all a great day. Uh, have a great weekend and we'll see you next week on Realcom Live. Be well.